Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Henry, who's going to talk a little bit uh, as we talk together about his integration in faith and work. Can we welcome up Henry? Hello, my buddy. I love this man. He's been good to me over the years. We've had some life together. Good to me. Yes, yes. Hold that right at your chin and come tuck right here next to me, and we're okay. going to talk to him about this. Uh, what's neat is this guy uh, grew up in Mexico. That's right. And if you've ever needed to know somebody who's in the Mexican Navy, you just met the man. And today is Cinco de Mayo, remember? Oh, <laughs> we didn't even plan it this way. I don't know. Oh, what's wonderful is uh, this man came to the States and kind of had to restart his life in Correct. some ways, uh, career-wise, schooling-wise. In some way, what he did there didn't, in essence, translate right. to American culture. Yeah. And he ended up, he's worked for United. He's worked for Intel. He's worked for Intuit. And now he's with VMware. Correct. Yes. And so he's had this journey. But meanwhile, during that 20-year journey, his faith came alive. And so my first question I have for him today is, how do you go about seeing your work as a ministry? Yes, uh, thank you, Brian. Uh, good morning, PCC. So uh, my work, my job as a ministry, I have two principles. You have two principles. Two principles uh, that I remind myself every single day that I, before I go to the office and during the day in the office. One is that I, am, I want to be a pointer to Jesus, and that's based in Matthew uh, 5.16. Mm-hmm. The second principle I remind to myself is that, yes, I had a CEO, and I had a great CEO. Yes, yes. And I had um, a manager, but my real CEO and my real manager is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that is in based in Colossians 3.23. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is helping me every single day when I go to the office to have a different mindset. Yeah. Different mindset. We had challenges there, yeah, but what, one that you have those yeah, things. What's, what's your biggest challenge? About the, you, you shared that with me. Yeah, the challenges that we have, it's a secular work, uh, a secular environment that we yeah. have in the office, right? So you have a, a stressful environment. You have a, some kind of people who have different values that you may have as a Christian. So uh, your actions, your actions, everything that you do, in my case, I want to reflect Jesus. I want to be, that's why I want to be a pointer to Jesus. Mm-hmm. The way that I interact with the people, the, the way that I do my job, my work ethics, everything, my integrity, and so on. So that's yeah, yeah. kind of the challenges. So I'm hearing you saying, you've somehow put in your own mind, I want to be a pointer. Correct. And that concept comes out of your actual training in computer science. Yeah, I mentioned to you that we had a um, concept in computer science that is a pointer that is uh, stories, uh, the memory, the other's memory to point to a different value. Um, so what I do with my techie friends, so <laughs> they know about computers, computer language, and I say, you know what, let's, let's be appointed to Jesus. So mm-hmm. anything that we do, let's glorify our yeah. Lord. Yeah. So you're trying to be a pointer. You've made God your CEO, even though you have a good CEO yeah. and sometimes a good manager. And, um, and in the end, the biggest challenge is the secular world and you living it out with your actions. Correct. How has God brought people to you? How do you see God show up in your work? Yep. Um, so I, you mentioned that I, the last five years I had been working at VMware, and we had a, 
a Christian network in, in, in VMware. Every, every Tuesday during lunch, we had meetings and we have Bible studies. So God has bringing that Christian network has bringing people who, with strong, strong believers around me. And you saw just uh, last weekend, Sanjay Poonan, also he's uh, the CEO of my company. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing surrounded about with Christian, uh, uh, strong Christian yeah. believers. And the other part is that one that you build your reputation, one that you build the trusted person or the good person or the Christian person in, you, in your job, God brings you people who want advice, who want some, maybe they have some struggles and some the people who are sick. So they bring it to me and this is a great opportunity to, to talk about, uh, I, can, I can pray for you and open opportunities too to, to talk about Jesus. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So you'll pray for people, meet them where their needs are. You obviously have a caring heart. Uh, Henry's just gone through extensive training here at PCC in our Stephen's Ministry Program. Stephen's Ministry Program is really a lay counseling program where we train people up to be able to sit with people when they're in crisis and they need care. You've almost finished that training. Tell me why you wanted to get involved in Stephen's Ministry. Yes, um, two, two things about that, that question. One, I believe that uh, there is a need out there. It's a big need for people who need to be cared. And there are few men, men, few men who are just helping to provide that care. I see women, I, I see few men. Mm -hmm. So I want to, the first one, I want to sell my, uh, myself available yeah. to provide that, that care, right? And when I say I want to, say, to make myself available, it's not because I am, I am perfect or I, I know all. My wife is right there and you can ask, I know. I know I am really perfect person, and I am, I don't know all Chino, yeah. so so uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so yeah. So practically, uh, that's the way. And I want to provide some kind of hope for people out there, yes. right? Uh, um, yeah. Because we don't know. Uh, perhaps they feel alone, or they are giving up. I've watched Henry with men. This is a natural place for him to enter in deeper with men who have needs. And just being around you, I become more hopeful, and I see the hope come out. It's interesting, as he's gone through the training, the number one thing he said it's helped him do is become a better listener. That's great for you, his wife. And, uh, and it's also just helped him understand how to provide a safe place for people. It'll be neat to see how you incorporate that even more into your work. What's the number one thing you're looking forward to as a Stephen minister? Yeah, it's exactly the benediction that we have in these chores, uh, to be healed as I participate in the healing of others. Sure. And that translates to me is to grow in wisdom, uh, love, and, and, and power with the, uh, when I walk with other people in need and depending on God with guidance and strength. Awesome. Can we thank Henry? Peace to you, Thank you. We're just trying to make it real. How do we integrate faith and work? It's attention. And realize this, if you're not getting paid for what you're doing, that's still the work God has put before you. So be careful with how you categorize things. Your work is where God has placed you, and you're going to hear more of that from Gary today. When I first moved to New York City, I thought I knew why I was coming here. It was going to be an adventure. I had my own agenda. I had no idea 
how much I would fall in love with the kids of the city and how much they would teach me about myself and change my life. I treasure my morning commutes on the subway. It's my time. Sometimes it's my only time with God. In those moments, I know His love for me, and I know that that's going to carry on throughout my day. And I know it's going to help me to do my job well. The Bronx is one of the toughest neighborhoods in the country. 75% of the people live below the poverty line. And where there's poverty, of course, there's going to be violence and sadness and strife, ugliness. Right in the middle of the Bronx is Middle School 223, where I'm a reading and writing teacher to sixth graders. It's where I spend my days every day. A lot of our kids at our school go home to shelters. They go home to homes where they are in charge. They see people get shot in front of their apartment door. Life has not been easy for them or kind to them. Morning. Good morning. Hey guys. Thanks for coming in quietly. Many of my students haven't been loved well. They've been abandoned. They've been promised things that have never come. They've been promised relationships with their fathers or mothers that have never happened. And so they're just worn. They're weathered. And they don't trust love. On the first day of school, the first thing that I tell them is, I've been thinking about you all summer. Like, I love you already. You may not believe this, but you can't earn my love. You could make straight A's all year and have perfect behavior all year, or you can get detention three times a week and I'm gonna love you the same. And then I spend all year trying to prove it. So I want you to think back to Monday. We chose that one personal narrative that we're gonna publish and celebrate and put out there to the world. Who am I as a person? What do I really want people to know about who I am? Well, it wasn't until recently that I realized that God had been preparing me for this job, for these kids at the school right now. I grew up in Georgia, mostly at my grandmother's house because my mom and dad were divorced. And then when my dad got married, I felt like I wasn't good enough. He, he wanted me to be perfect. I just wasn't good enough anymore. But I know I don't need other people to say I'm okay anymore. I did that my whole life, and I think I'm finally done. So maybe now I can just be Lindsay, and if I make mistakes, then oh well. I'm not only as good as what I do. Growing up, and especially now, even as an adult, I still long for that love and acceptance, and God has shown that to me. And given that to me so that I can go and give these kids the same love and acceptance that they have always wanted too. Over time, I really do believe this classroom becomes a safe haven for them, a place where they feel accepted and they know they're gonna be safe and it's comfortable. I think God loves these kids so much, more than I could ever hope to love them. I think He wants them to rest and to be happy. I think He wants to heal their hearts. 
Every day they walk out of my classroom. And at the end of the year, they walk out of my classroom forever. It's so hard. It's hard not knowing what lies ahead for them or what type of choices they'll make. And I just have to rest. I've done everything I could do. I've loved them the best that I can. And my hope is that they'll figure out that God loves them so much more than I ever could. How good is that, huh? Wow. Lindsay is an integrator. Uh, by integrator, what we mean, we're based this whole series on a national study done, largest study ever done with followers of Jesus, uh, asking them what you do on Sunday, does it matter Monday through Saturday? And uh, with this survey that you're taking is one we've made off of that survey. So please go to that scan tag or this, uh, I don't even know what this is called, but go to this and um, take that survey. And what we found is um, most of you already, we've had 250 people respond last week, want to integrate who you are right now with Monday through Saturday. Uh, but then we found, and I'm so sorry for this, most of you, the overwhelming majority of you feel like as a church, we have not equipped you to integrate who you are Monday through Friday with what you are and who you are right now. We're about to change all that, and we want us all to integrate who we are. Uh, to do that, we need the Holy Spirit, so let's ask God to meet us right now. Jesus, thank you for your goodness, and Father, Holy Spirit, meet us here because Monday matters, Lord. We weren't just made for an hour on Sunday. We were made to live with you and to live alongside you all of our life, just like Lindsay. So guide us, speak to us. Jesus, emerge from these pages, even in Genesis. We need it. We need you. We're dependent. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't you think Jesus should make a difference Monday through Friday? Yeah, uh, I love how the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 12. Look on the screen. Apostle Paul said, it's a paraphrase of this passage. How do I take my everyday, ordinary sleep? I love this. Sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's what we want to do in the next eight weeks is equip us all to encourage us all to do that. And to do that, we have to start here with a Monday morning theology. Now, when you hear the word theology, you might push back and go, wait a second, that's why we pay Brian, that's why we pay you, you're the theologian. No, 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 friends, we're all theologians. Every human being is a theologian. You have a view of God, it may, be, may or may not be accurate, but how you view God, your theology drives your biology. How you view God informs what you do with your life and how you treat people, how you treat others, how you even treat yourself. Your theology informs your biology. And what I want to attempt to do this morning is give you uh, some motives based on who God is, who Jesus is, that will drive you, as Paul said, you're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. That's what Lindsay did in the video as an integrator. You heard that throughout that video. We'll send you the leak later this week. She was motivated by her view of God. I want you to hear this because if you miss this, you miss everything. And I'm not overstating it. What we're trying to do here is get across this. It's not just enough. We're not, we're not, well, let me just say how I wrote it. It's not enough to try to honor God in how we do our work or what we, uh, that we try to be Christ-like at work. 
or that we support God's kingdom through the resources God gives us at work, what I want to do in the next 22 minutes is equip you with a new lens on how to view work itself. Work matters to God. It matters to us. And if we're going to follow Christ and make a difference, we've got to have an accurate view of work. And that's what we're going to do. What would happen if you took the gospel from this gathering and carried it with you tomorrow morning, wherever you are, in whatever profession you are, whether you're a student, a homemaker, or work somewhere on Sand Hill Boulevard, what would be the difference if you took the gospel there? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a perspective of work. I'm going to show you some guardrails in work. And then I want to give you a power source for work. All from the creation narrative of Genesis 1 to 3. And I got to tell you, I am using incredible restraint by flying over that narrative. Usually I like to dive deep in a passage. We're not going to do that this morning. So pray for restraint. Otherwise, we'll be here till 6 o'clock at night. Uh, we're going to look over the narrative. Let's dive in. Are you ready? Are your message notes? Bible's open in Genesis chapter 1. Here we go. A perspective for work a perspective for the work. And by the way, if you don't identify as a follower of Jesus, you picked a great Sunday to come to church because you're going to see the difference that following Jesus can make in the place that you spend most of your time. We spend more time with our work family, our waking hours, than we do with our biological family. And Jesus must make a difference there. We're going to see the difference he makes. Perspective. Now, when you read the narrative of Genesis 1 to 3, it teaches us that the work we do, here's the big picture of the first point, the work we do is actually a continuation of the work that God started. God started something really good at the beginning, and he's passed the baton to you and to me and we continue that work with him. Let's start in Genesis chapter 1. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So what do we have here in the creation narrative? A formless, empty, chaotic system. And the Spirit of God swoops in. And from that formless, void, chaotic world, rearranges things, and this is what you have in Genesis 1, so that from chaos comes order and beauty. One chapter later, God puts Adam and Eve, the first human beings, into the garden. And you know what he does in paradise? He gives them a job. He puts them to work. They're gardeners. Gardeners. Now, what is a garden? We have a garden in our backyard. Um, it's not that. <laughs> that would be Philoli. I wanted you to have a, 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 just a picture. But what is a garden at its core? A garden is a bunch of earth that's rearranged, so out of it comes things that weren't there before. Are, are we all on the same page? Is that not a garden? We have a small garden. It's three feet by seven feet. You want a sweet garden? I just parked up there by the Wren's house. That is a community garden that Missy Wren does. Can we all go up there and take stuff from it? No, she says. Okay, I would affirm that. She's taken dirt. Missy's an incredible gardener. And from the dirt with fertilizer, water, all that, seeds are planted, and out of it comes things that weren't. My daughter came running in because her job is to water the garden. She's 10 years old. She said, Daddy, Daddy, there's a strawberry. If only we were all childlike like that. Because from dirt over time with water came a strawberry. Friends, for human beings to flourish and thrive and develop, gardeners are needed. 
and we're all gardeners in the economy of God. He started this work through gardening. You are continuing it. I will build that out because some of you are looking at me like, what? Genesis 2.15, look what happens next. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to do what, my friends? To work it and care for it. The essence of God's work is to rearrange and reorder raw material so he brings about a product that allows human flourishing and human well-being. And that's exactly what he mandated the first human beings to do. Not because of the curse. This is very important. But before the curse, work is not a result of sin entering the world. It was given before sin entered the world. If you think about it, all work is gardening. We're continuing what God started. Pick your profession. I'll I'll pick a few. What is farming? That's obvious. Construction, architecture, medicine, technology. Uh, What did my barista do this morning? She gardened raw products of a coffee bean and water and and put milk in it. Out of it came a cappuccino. (laughs) She was a gardener right? Uh, we're, we're highlighting teachers every Sunday. We're going to bless a different sector. This Sunday, we're blessing teachers. What are they doing? They are gardening people, young people for human flourishing. Do you know what Genesis 1 and 2 teaches? It, it teaches and shows God makes something, and then he steps back. Read Genesis 1. It's like, wow, that's really good. Then he makes something the next epic or day, and he steps back and goes, Oh, that's really good. And he makes something. It's this continual oscillation. Creation that's good. Creation that's good. Um, All of work is participating with God in the gardening of this world. Creating culture. Jesus was motivated by this. Look, it's in your notes. It's on the screen here. Jesus said, my father is always at work to this very day. And I, too, am working. I don't think he just said that. He did say it in his public ministry. But I really believe for 30 years, he was a carpenter. Uh, not for 30 years, but prior to being public, his adult profession before uh, being the savior of the world was to be a carpenter. I believe that motivated him every day. That he woke up and realized, why I've been sleeping, God's been working. God, what are you doing that I can join you on? You can claim that for yourself as well. I, I do. I have a picture on my desk, and uh, if this brings value to you, take a picture of it and make it yours. Put it in your own words. This is on my desk in my office. Lord, I'm yours today. This is your desk. This is your office. These are your tools. This is your computer. Now, help me become the very best worker I can possibly be. And in the process of time, let's catch some fish, let's make some disciples. Extremely aspirational, I'll give you that. But guys, men, women, sisters, brothers in Christ, what do you want to shoot for in your everyday eating, sleeping, working life? Is it not that, that we steward it all, right? See, uh, what would change if you really believed that God was at work in your work? What would change? You saw that in Lindsay, vividly. We heard that in Henry, vividly. See, in all God's eyes, in God's eyes, all work has dignity. All work. God loves work. This is how it motivates me. Okay, so my job in the Gadini house, cleaning the bathrooms. Okay? So if some 
spirit doesn't hover over the bacteria in the bathroom, there's chaos. There's a lack of hygiene. What do we call that? A college dorm room. (laughs) So Gary comes through and hovers over it with Lysol, with other things. And I move across the face of the toilets and the face of the bathtubs and the face of the counters. Because if I don't, someone will die. And I am joining God in creating order, cleanliness, human flourishing that we call children and a husband and a wife, right? See, scrubbing the toilet, that's God's work that I get to join him in, creating flourishing. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, and then we'll move on, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or say these next three words really loud, whatever you do, do it what? All for the glory of God. Cleaning a toilet, driving to work, interacting, emailing, do it all for the glory of God. All of it. Because God loves work. It wasn't a part of the curse. It was in the garden before the curse. The curse altered it. We'll talk about that. But God loves work. Guess what you're going to do in heaven? I don't think, you probably know that you're not going to get like a, a set of wings and a harp and just flutter away. That would not be heaven. That is hell, right? In the coming kingdom, the Bible says we will serve God on the new earth. We will work in the coming kingdom. And it's glorious, okay? Let's go to the next point. That's your perspective. So what would be different tomorrow if you kick open the door? Don't, don't do that, but try it. Yeah, kick open the door and just go, God, this is your place. What are you about? You've been working. Open my eyes to where you're working. Do you see how that would be a whole different perspective, right? Here's the second thing I want you to know. There's uh, guardrails for your work. Perhaps the most famous guardrail that's ever been given is right here in Genesis, in the Genesis narrative. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Let's keep reading. Then the Lord God took the man, page 2. By the way, if you want to look at ways to glorify God at work, page 3, I put a list of practical ways you can glorify God and apply 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Uh, Okay, Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and care for it. But before they get to work, God says, wait, 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 wait. And he gives him a guardrail, a guardrail of paradise. The Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not, say those words, you must not, words we hate to hear in the West, because we feel like, oh, you're restricting my freedom. Oh, that's why I don't like following Jesus. It's so confining. No, 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 friends. This is liberating. Jesus gives us prohibitive commands. God does too, for the reasons I give my daughters prohibitive commands, the ones that live in our home. Two guardrails to protect and to provide. You must not. It's the motive behind those guardrails. What must not we do? We must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you'll die. Okay, I could, this is where constraints needed. I could spend an hour right here. But why would God, let's just go up to 30,000 feet. Why would God put a guardrail in the garden? Uh, why would he say 2,000 years later, there are some things you can do, some things you can't do as a follower of Christ? Because he cares about human flourishing. And human cultural guardrails aren't always set up for human flourishing. I'll give you two guardrails. Just pick some. Uh, Old Testament, Proverbs 11.1. 1, it's in your notes. He told the, the Hebrews, the Lord detests honest, dishonest scales. 
but accurate way to find favor with him. Do you know what dishonest scales are? In an agrarian culture like the Hebrews lived in, it was weighting the scales in your advantage so you could earn more money and rip people off. Today, dishonest scales are giving customers or shareholders a skewed product, a skewed time card. If you're a student, cheating is a dishonest scale. God says, don't do that. Culture doesn't flourish when that happens. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse 28. This is extra credit, not in your notes, not on the screen. Everybody, you're welcome. Ephesians four, verse 28 says this. You must not steal. We'll get to this in about three weeks. Now I know you're pushing back and go, I can see it on your face. What do you mean I must not? I don't steal, I don't rip people off, really? Have you considered maybe our gossiping steals a reputation? Have you considered your laziness at work steals from your employee? I just read a study in, in 2017 that the average office employee, and I know no one here does this, spends five hours a week on their smartphone in non-work-related activity. In a national scale for 2017, that added up to $15.5 billion that is stolen from the private sector. The Bible says that's not going to allow for flourishing. Don't steal. The other day, I, uh, I ride a scooter, and my scooter broke down, and so I looked on Yelp, top hit on Yelp was in San Carlos and I broke my, it was a motorcycle shop so I was very embarrassed of riding. I just brought my scooter in and, and um, anyway, the guy looked at it, told me what was wrong and I told him what was wrong and he says, okay, and he gives me an estimate. A week later I show up and I paid half of the estimated price. I'm like, wait a second, I was supposed to pay 200 bucks, why am I only paying 100? He says, oh, we completely misdiagnosed it. We thought it would take three hours, it only took 45 minutes. I would have never known. And he said this, he goes, why would I charge you for my estimate? To which I wanted to answer because everyone else would. See, he didn't tilt the scales. He didn't want to steal from me. Do you think he's won me as a customer? Absolutely, because I can trust him. Think of how our culture has been impacted when dishonest scales or guardrails in every industry. I'm about to offend every industry in the room about guardrails that have been completely derailed, right? In every sector. Let's just start with the college admission scandal we're still living in the wake of. Uh, Bernie Madoff. Um, government, let's take pol political. I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. In, in the White House, in Senate, in the House, in the state legislature, even at our city level, guardrails have been, at some point in our life, we have been just hit on our homepage with guardrails that have been completely surpassed. Let's take my industry, Brian's industry, uh, religion, Catholic church sex scandal, Protestant church sex scandal, evangelical church sex scandals. It's in every industry. The military, who remembers Abu Ghraib and the pictures that came out of that prison in Iraq of the way we treated prisoners? I thought there's no way Americans could ever treat prisoners of war that way, but we did. And we have the photos to prove it. As my daughters were talking about different sectors, I said, look, the issue is not the sector. The issue is the human heart. There is sin in the human heart. And so God sets up guardrails. Is everyone offended? Did I not hit a sector yet? Okay. This Monday morning theology will send you out tomorrow morning with a brand new perspective. I get to join God in the work he started. 
I am gardening with him to restore what is broken and to spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. And this Monday morning theology gives you guardrails. There are some things you just can't do as a follower of Christ. Not because God wants to kill your work or stop you from being the best employee you can be, but because he wants to protect you, because he wants to provide for you, and he wants human flourishing. And when you live outside a guardrail, humanity doesn't flourish. Then the last thing I want you to know is there is a power source to do all this from the original creation narrative. And Sanjay hit on a whole different aspect of this. Please listen to that podcast soon. You'll be able to watch that podcast. But um, he talked about the Holy Spirit and his role in all this. But I want to take this power source in a, different, in a different way. And I think it's actually the most violated principle in all of scripture in our church. You know why I can say that? Because it's the most violated principle in the scriptures in my life. And sadly, you are a reflection of my heart as your lead shepherd. And so I'm sorry. And part of me going public with this is to have you help me and help us do this better in the future, okay? What's amazing to me in Genesis narrative is that God worked and assigned work in the garden and that was what paradise was called. See, for me and you, when we think of paradise, you know what we think of? Not working, right? Okay, I'm gonna just play my age here, high school, lover boy. (laughs) Everybody's working for the weekend because the weekend is when you don't work and that's paradise, right? God says, no, 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 no. Paradise uh, is about work. Now, now, things have happened. Curse uh, came in and it's toiled with work, but work is not retirement. I'm sorry, paradise is not retirement or being away. You can have paradise 24-7, And we'll get to that. Genesis chapter three, verse 17. Sin enters into the narrative. Something goes really wrong. And God says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. In other words, because of sin, work is hard. Because of sin, work is toilsome. Because of sin, there's stress, there's overtime, there's belligerent bosses, there's mundane meetings. Do any of you have those, right? Brian and I never have those around here. Everything, that wasn't cool. One of our board members just laughed out loud. (laughs) Um, Everything in the world of the work is not what it should be because of sin entering the world. And even though we are made for work, we live in a world which is frustrating, toilsome, and you know what God's remedy is? Are you ready? This is my number one sin, rest. Rest. At some point in the creation narrative, God walked away on day seven. Not because he needed rest. Everybody, do I have everyone's attention? Because we need rest. And he was modeling for us how to work in a healthy rhythm. Genesis chapter two, verse two. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. And on the seventh day, what did he do, church? He rested from his work. This is the introduction of one of the main themes of the Bible and the secret for how we get power and rejuvenation to work well. God didn't work constantly. He rested. At the most basic level, what the Bible's teaching is this. Work isn't everything. It's important. It honors God, but it's not everything. Walk away. Walk away. At some point in my day, I have to say to the Lord, I have still so many more things to do. But God, this isn't all of me. 
I'm going home to be a dad. I'm going home to be a husband. But you're always working. And so, Father, take it from here. Now, there's a tension in that, and, and I'm learning. I oscillate a lot, and probably at this point, you should talk to Ann about how well or how poorly I'm doing in that. Uh, but the reality is, friends, we do not Sabbath well at all for some of us. There's times in my home when I show up and I'm there at home for like two hours and Ann will say, hey, can I ask you a question? Yeah, when are you coming home? It's just her subtle way of saying, I know you're here, but you're not here. You know what? You know why that is? And I'm going to take this to a whole nother level and then we're going to go to the communion table. Because when I don't rest in what Jesus did on the cross for me, I find my identity in work and I can't rest. I constantly have to be doing. In Luke, I'm sorry, John chapter 19, last verse, and then we'll, we'll go to, and this is a perfect verse for communion. Jesus, the last thing he said, one of the last things he said from the cross, it is finished. I completed the work for you, Gary Gadini, so you can find your identity in me and not in you being a lead pastor or a pastor or whatever your LinkedIn profile says. And when you find your identity in me, I will give you a rest at a core level that will allow you not to find meaning in what you do. It's so much deeper and you can walk away. What this means practically is, is when uh, I come to work, I can swing for the fences. And if I strike out, which happens, I can go back to the cross and back to that saying and say, you know what, that strikeout didn't define me. Jesus, you defined me on the cross. I can swing for the fences. I have a motive better than anyone who doesn't know Christ for the glory of God and human flourishing. We talked about that. And when I hit a home run, I can come back to the cross and Jesus says, we did a great job, didn't we? But that home run doesn't define you. It is finished on the cross defines you. And that allows me to walk away and live in rest and have a good night's sleep or not. I can actually find the stress level in my life is directly proportionate to my identity in Christ or not in Christ. And I, I, I wrestle with this. So what have I given you? A perspective for work. I've given you guardrails for work. I've given you an identity that's a power source for work so that you can rest by taking the Sabbath. I would challenge you, when is the last day you actually took a Sabbath? And also you can live in rest because your identity is in Christ and what he did for you. And what do you do with this? You can see on page three, pray for work. We're, we're gonna introduce bless. We've talked about that before, but believe in prayer is the first thing of the bless acrostic. Believe God, pray for your work. Work hard because we have a motive that is so greater than any other motive out there. Expect sweat and then rest. Brand new one that went into my mind after print, rest in the Father, rest in the finished work of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the truth of this. Oh my gosh, who would have thought all that was in Genesis? Now the battle begins. Do we trust you or do we trust our instinct? I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide us through your Holy Spirit. Help us live into this motive, this perspective Help us walk away from the guardrails and trust you. Lord, help us, please, 
have this power source of rest. And if anyone does not know their security in you, that you love them, as Lindsay said, more than we ever could, not because of what we do, but because of just by nature of who we are as human beings, may they find a relationship with you that gives them true, true rest. We want to do it differently, Lord. We want to see the bay transformed, the whole community, whole peninsula. It will only happen through this theology, I believe. Pray in Christ's name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.